This is the SFF Audio Podcast. I'm Scott. And I'm Jesse. Hello, Jesse. Hi, Scott. Hey, you have any centipedes your way? <laughs> Centipede Only humankind. Only, Only human. Only the human kind. The human kind, right. Let's start. Why don't we talk about that, would that be good, first? Because that is a fascinating thing there. Not the movie per se. Well, right? you're not. No, I, I, actually, I don't plan on seeing it. Me neither. Although, although I've seen, you know, I've, <laughs> I don't know if I've seen anything that bad, but I had a really cool experience at the World Horror Convention. Wait, let's uh, let's tell people what we're talking about. All first. right, sounds good. Go ahead. Uh, there's a there was a post on Boing Boing about uh, a new. Uh, a review by Roger Ebert of a movie called The Human Centipede. And uh, it's a horror movie, but uh, Roger Ebert has a very uh, great uh, couple of paragraphs that he wrote about it. And he said uh, about this movie, he says, I have long attempted to take a generic approach. In other words, is a film true to its genre? Does it deliver what audiences presumably expect? The Human Centipede scores high on this scale. It is depraved and disgusting enough to satisfy the most demanding midnight movie fan. And it is simply, and it's not simply an exploitation film. Uh, dot, dot, dot. And then, I am required to award stars to movies. I review. This time, I refuse to do it. The star rating system is unsuited to this film. Is the movie good? Is it bad? Does it matter? It, it is what it is, and it occupies a world where the stars don't shine. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I think this is, this is fun because if you think about, uh, you know, if he gave it a five star because it fulfills exactly what it's trying to do, right? Uh-huh. Uh, and then you say, well, how is it compared to The Godfather? <laughs> you know, you're going to have a bit of trouble. Oh, man. Making the uh, explanation. And I thought that was just a, a nice sort of thing. What did you think? Uh, I, it was a very cool review. Just, yeah. Um. <laughs> not a movie that I'm probably going to see. Um, but yeah, be sure and link to it because, <laughs> yeah, there's even a, a graphical representation of what the human centipede actually is and um, makes you laugh out loud. It's really something else. But it reminded me what I was saying is it reminded me of my experience at the World Horror Convention in 2008 mm-hmm. in which I, uh, it was down in Salt Lake City, which is uh, local to me. And I was the uh, film festival guy, so I got to take in all the films and uh, show them at the at this convention. So it was a fascinating experience. <laughs> I think I remember that. Did you? Did I get you to put in some Masters of Horror? Um, yeah, but that wasn't part of the film festival. Oh, it wasn't. Uh, the film festival is where people send in films, and we, um, uh, you know, actually voted on them and. Oh. Boards and, and things, yeah. Oh. The, uh, the 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 other stuff was for showing, you know, at other times. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah I pretty that, much I great... pretty much spent uh, March March twenty seventh through the thirtieth of two thousand eight in a room watching horror movies for pretty much three days. And, that explains uh, the white hair now, right? The dramatic <laughs> experience. Yeah, so it was it was uh it was really something else, but uh I'll remember that forever. It was it was uh, a lot of fun. But there was a lot of crazy stuff, man. No doubt, yeah. Yep. 
it, it's kind of funny how the, you know, I don't think the horror genre is, you know, the modern horror genre is that old. I think, you know, uh, it could be, basically dates to the late 70s at the earliest. Um, uh-huh. There's certainly horror movies, you know, Dracula and Frankenstein and all that stuff before, but that's not really, you know, if you compare them to what, you know, whatever Saw movies out this week, uh-huh. uh, they're not really the same kind of movie at all. Um, and they're, they're sort of riffing on each other. They're all talking to each other in a dialogue with, the, I guess, the people who like them. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, uh, I think it's it's almost, yeah, you know, what Roger Ebert is saying. It's It does what it's supposed to do. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, right. It's an efficient, uh, an efficient flow. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and, and that's a problem with reviewing things in general, in mm-hmm. my opinion, because I often come up with things that I personally am not enjoying but I believe that other people will right you know it's because it's this is not particularly for me but I could certainly see how a kid would love this or I could certainly see how a gamer would love this or or you know someone who loves military science fiction would think this is great you know? uh you, you you I told you about that uh comment i got on my review of hater oh yeah mm-hmm. um, i thought that was kind of interesting i i i gave the i wrote the review and i i didn't hate it uh that much i i i didn't like it a lot though and i i what i didn't like about it was you know the way it was i guess deliberately structured to bore you at the beginning and i think you know that's just not a a great dynamic uh-huh. um but the um the uh, the the twist is a good one, right? The twist that eventually comes mm-hmm. is a good one. It's just why does it take this long? And then um, somebody who disagreed with me uh, wrote a very um, I, I guess it's kind of funny because he's a hater himself. He wrote a, um, a comment that is clearly he hates Americans. He uh-huh. says. In his uh, comment, you have to be an American. <laughs> Only an American would complain about not being uh, not being spelled out to them as to where the story takes place. Uh-huh. I, I I complain that the city that it takes place in is not named. It could be London. It could be some you know other English city, mid-sized city or something. Uh-huh. Uh, and and then he says, and the computer thing that the family doesn't have one. There are lots of people with families who work at a job, uh, work at great jobs and bad ones that don't have computers, and some poor families that do. And uh, yeah, I, it's true that some people don't have computers. Uh, they're very strange people, to be yeah. sure, uh, or very old. I, I think you know, you know, ninety-five years old and you don't have a computer. It's completely understandable. Uh-huh. Um, but this is a young guy, and presumably it's the modern era. Um, and he says at the end, uh, I bought into it. Here, I'll spell it out. Uh, the, the important part is he bought into it. He liked it. He enjoyed the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, because I didn't like it, or at least I had some criticism of it, uh, I don't know. Maybe he maybe he doesn't hate me. <laughs> he just hates Americans. I, I, I corrected him on the fact that I'm not an American. But um, in a later comment, he says... He says, um, uh, I don't research people. I comment 
on what they say. And then, yeah, my assumptions are quick sometimes, but after research, I see you live in BC and you can't get any closer to the US than that. <laughs> what? Right, right. I don't know. I guess if I'm lived in Northwest Territories, it'd be better. <laughs> I wouldn't be so influenced by you. Oh, man. That's for sure. That's for sure. Whatever. Um, yeah, yeah, there's, there's something to, you know, you know, review it for the audience that it's intended for. Mm-hmm. I think that there's an argument for that. Roger Ebert reviews everything, right? He doesn't stick to the genre he's interested in. Yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. He, you know, and I, I really like his reviews. Um, in fact, I've got a couple of his books. One of them is Your Movie Sucks. <laughs> and then the other one is called, uh, I'm leaning over here looking for it, uh, Awake in the Dark, The Best of Roger Ebert. I think, though, um, that reviewers can also get into a bad sp- uh, bad space and not, not see good things uh-huh. uh, in... Um, in uh, in good movies, mm-hmm. so uh, I think he did a review of Reservoir Dogs, which is a, a very good movie. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see if I've got the review here. Oh, that's uh, well, whatever. I'll sort it out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it says uh, um, he felt that the script could have been better, and said the movie "quote unquote" feels like it's going to be terrific. But Tarantino's script does not have much curiosity about the characters. Hmm. So, yeah. yeah, it's it's not a very enthusiastic review. Um, when I saw it, I was blown away. I thought, this is great filmmaking, uh, low budget. Uh, I saw it back-to-back with another film that they've remade since then, uh, and I was not impressed by it. Mm-hmm. So, um, there's something there's something about... About, uh, I think if you get too far into the reviewing, you can, you can be looking for things to criticize. Uh huh. Right? Yeah. Rather than looking for uh, an explanation of any enjoyment that you have. The problem is, is with a review, usually you're, you're gonna finish it whether you liked it or not, and then that would mean you're gonna have negative reviews. Right? Right, right. If you only review good things, there's no comparison. Really, and I think you do need to have negative reviews up there for people yeah. to. Yeah, and I, I agree with that. A look too. You bet. Well, all right. Well, shall we get into these releases I've got? Okay. Oh, please! And Very I've got a couple stuff. myself. All right. Well, we'll what, start what with. What has uh, arrived? We'll start with a shipment from Tantor Media, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. Um, first one up: the horror stories of Robert E. Howard. Great! I read, want it. Yeah, read by Robertson Dean. Um, unfortunately, there's not a list of horrors in here, or list of uh, stories. Well, I will make make it out when I do the review. Okay, it says included (laughs) in this collection is Howard's masterpiece, Pigeons from Hell, a tale of two travelers who stumble upon the ruins of a southern plantation, and into the maw of its fatal secret. In this and other classics, such as the Revenge Nightmare, Worms of the Earth, and the Cairn on the Headland. Mm-hmm. Howard spins tales of unrelenting terror, the legacy of one of the world's great masters of the macabre. So, Karen of the Headland is available on LibriVox, by the way. Okay. Pretty so, sure okay. it is, anyways. All right, or so those, maybe, maybe, those we've got stories a, and others. Yeah, it's, uh, it's very, um, he's, he's actually a really good horror writer. Oh. <laughs> very creepy, um, 
creepy tales, and a lot of them are not in you know particularly mm-hmm. fantasy settings like a lot of the rest of his writing. Yeah. They're more um, you know about his time period, more like Lovecraft era, mm-hmm. um, and uh, or nineteenth century sort of thing. Yeah. Okay. Looking forward to that. Great. All right. Next is I Am Not a Serial Killer by Dan Wells. I um, requested they send us that, actually. Yeah. I thought that was a, a cool um, cool book. Yeah, you bet. Um, read by John Allen Nelson. Mm-hmm. Um, John Wayne Cleaver is dangerous, and he knows it. He spent his life doing his best not to live up to his potential. John is obsessed with serial killers, but really doesn't want to become one. So for his own sake and the safety of those around him, he lives by rigid rules he's written for himself, practicing normal life as if it were a private religion that could save him from damnation. Dead bodies are normal to John. He likes them, actually. They don't demand or expect the empathy he's unable to offer. Perhaps that's what gives him the objectivity to recognize that there's something different about the body the police have just found behind the wash-and-dry laundromat and to appreciate what the difference means. Now for the first time, John has to confront a danger outside himself, a threat he can't control, a menace to everything and everyone he would love, if only he could. It's, uh, it's interesting, I guess it, we'll have to classify it as Arl Noir, uh-huh. but um, I think it's, uh, it's kind of like uh, Dexter as a teenager, I guess, something like that. Uh-huh. Um, but... This is this is a, a you know interesting idea. I I read uh, and did the review of Columbine, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of years ago, yeah. maybe last year, and um, it's a uh, it's about you know, psychopathy and sociopathy, and it's uh, it's an interesting subject because they're people, but they don't think like us, mm-hmm. or you're a person, but you don't think like me. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm interested in this. This uh, exploration. That's interesting. Yeah. If you've been fact, watching when, when this one, when this podcast goes up, I will be at a convention with him. Hmm. Um, he's he's kind of a local writer to me. Uh, Dan Wells and Brandon Sanderson and um, Howard Taylor of Schlock Mercenary. They all mm-hmm. do a podcast called Writing Excuses. Oh, that's that's the same Dan Wells. I yep. got it now. Sure is. Yeah. Know that. And uh, yeah. Anyway. He's a, he's a lot of fun. He's also, by the way, got a fantastic discussion that they recorded at LTUE, which uh, is Life, the Universe, and Everything. Mm-hmm. It's a annual symposium that they have at uh, Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah. Anyway, it's on YouTube, and I'll send you a link to that. Please do. But it's a talk about story structure. And oh. uh, it was great. Absolutely fantastic. How many CDs is this audiobook? Um, it's not a long book. Um, it's an MP3 CD that they sent us here. Oh, okay. Um, and it is seven and a half hours long. Oh, that's good. That's and I've got, exactly the, I've got the print for. version, and I've also got the next one that comes out called Mr. Monster, but I ordered it from um, England. Oh. Because it came out in England first. It's not out in the United States yet, but will be soon. Oh. So, all right. Next up is one that I'm listening to right now. As soon as I got it, I put it in, and I just barely started it. It's called The Eerie Silence, Renewing Our Search for Alien Intelligence, read by George K. Wilson and written by Paul Davies. I saw you post about it on Goodreads. Yeah, you bet. Um, and that's my pick of the week, by the way, is goodreads.com. Oh, uh, just the whole website? Yep, the whole website. Um, I, I think it's neat. Of all the uh, social networking sites that I've been on. Um, yeah. 
every single one of them are now ignored by me, but Goodreads continues because it's, uh, like you said, it's about the books. Yeah, and uh, I, I sort of dismissed it as uh, just another stupid social networking thing. Although I think Skype is my social networking thing. And, uh, I guess um, Flickr is uh, kind of cool too. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, they've got a good app for it on the iPhone. Yeah. Um, Goodreads. And, you know, when I'm in the gym and I, I've checked my email, uh, I, I don't usually reply to email there, but when I've checked my email and I've, uh, you know, got my hands free, I, I usually click on over there and see if see who's reading what. Yeah, yeah. It's neat. So Goodreads. Um, check that out. So anyway, this book, The Eerie Silence by Paul Davies, is a uh, science book about... Um, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, um, and it's it's kind of a proposal. As I understand, you know, I'm only a barely into it, but it's a proposal for renewing our search for artificial, or, or not artificial, for alien intelligence in in the universe, um, using different methods than we've been using. So, um, looking forward to to uh, listening to the rest of this. Oh, I'll definitely get a review up there. Great. Yep. Um, next is Beowulf. Um, translated oh. by Francis B. Gumer, read by Rosalind Landor, and it includes an ebook on the disc. It's also an MP3 CD, um, so that should be good. I've got a nice translation um, by Seamus Haney um, of Beowulf that I like, and I've also got it on audio, I believe. I'm um, actually looking forward to reading Beowulf. I I have tried with different uh, translations and had lots of bad luck. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's uh, it's a cool story, though. I think that's the the you know there's a reason that people are still talking about it. It's it's mm-hmm. a it's a cool story. It is. I've read. Uh, it reminds me of the Epic of Gilgamesh. Um, just just because. You know, there's not a lot in common. I'm just saying they're both old. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> but the Epic of Gilgamesh on um, RadioArchives.cc, you can download oh. a uh, BBC audio drama of the Epic of Gilgamesh. Yeah, that was uh, uh, that was cool one actually. I think I heard about that. Yeah, and I, I or heard it. it. I enjoyed it very much. Um, okay, next up from Tantor. This is the last one from Tantor. Is the subject of our um, next read-along, City of Dragons by Kelly oh, Stanley, um, read by Cynthia Holloway. And I'll go ahead and read the description. Mm-hmm. San Francisco, 1980. Miranda Corby, 33-year-old private investigator, Spanish Civil War nurse, and ex-escort, waits impatiently in a Chinatown crowd. Fireworks explode as the city celebrates Chinese New Year with a rice bowl party, and a three-day a three-day and night carnival designed to raise money for China's war relief. Then, Eddie Takahashi stumbles, fatally shot, into Sacramento Street and into Miranda's life, and war comes home to San Francisco. I've got the paper book right here. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is the one I... First book I won from Bish at Bish's Beat, Mm -hmm. and uh, I still haven't opened that. Uh, I, I still haven't read a page of it, but I'm looking forward to doing a read-along. An actual, you know, get the mm-hmm. audiobook, get the paper book, you read along with it. Yep. And uh, I actually, I, I enjoy doing that every once in a while. Um, and uh, yeah, oftentimes you can just switch back and forth, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I, I love this, the premise, you know. Uh, it's a female PI, right? Yep. San Francisco, uh, just... Uh, 
on the eve of World War Two uh, with uh, a, a veteran of the Spanish Civil War, which is one of the most amazing wars in in the 20th century, really. Really fascinating war that almost nobody knows about. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I'm I'm looking forward to this one. Julie has uh, been uh, writing up pre or halfway through reviews of it, and she's uh, she's not super enthusiastic so far. So, it's going to be an interesting uh, talk. Yeah, it will. It'll be a good good uh, good conversation. Yeah. All right. Okay. Now on to brilliance. Um, what I have here in my hand is Hi Darenai by Catherine Kurtz, performed How do you by spell Jeff that? Woodman. Uh, Darenai is D-E-R-Y-N-I. Okay. And um, Hi is, is just regular. Yeah, H-I-G-H, you bet. Okay. Um, fantasy, I'm guessing. Yeah, it's a fantasy. Um, young Kelson Haldane has claimed his birthright and assumed the throne of Gwynedd. For the first time in centuries, a king of Darenai heritage, possessing extraordinary magical abilities, rules the realm. But the priesthood of the elven kingdoms has held sway over the crown for generations. They decried the Darenai as witches and heretics, drove them underground, and usurped control of the kingdom. They have no intention of ceding their power to Kelson and his supporters, even if it means inciting civil war. So, uh, yep. Magic... Kingdoms, castles, very nice picture on the cover. How um, long is that one? This is the Chronicles of the Darenai, book three. How how long is it? Um, looking thirteen hours. Thirteen hours, okay. Yep. Um, yeah, she was she was very popular um, when I was a teenager. I remember um, lots of people carrying around the Darenai books, but I never did read any. Hmm. All right. Next up is Jack Vance. Oh, um, another man, one. I've got this is book four of the Tales of Dying Earth, so I'm I am fully set. I need to jump into all these. Um, let's see. Uh, it's called Rialto the Marvelous Tales of Dying Earth number four by Jack Vance, performed by Arthur Mori. Um, Rialto the Marvelous takes up the personal and political conflicts among a conclave of two dozen magicians of Ascolaeus and Almeri in the twenty-first aeon. The shocking appearance of Loro the Mirtha, a powerful female force from an earlier eon, threatens to unbalance nature by ensqualming or feminizing the magicians. This triggers a tremendous struggle for power, and the other mages turn against Rialto. So anyway, I'm looking forward to that. I need to get into those. Uh, speaking Lots of Jack of fantasy, Vance, um, huh? since we last uh, popped a podcast on the, on the feed, uh, I've managed to find a a copy of the greatest Jack Vance story I've, I've ever heard, um, The Moon Moth, uh, along with a Seeing Ear Theater, a uh, bunch of Seeing Ear Theater oh, stuff. Yeah. And Good. I have uh, one person who is going to try and track down a few more mm-hmm. of the missing ones that uh, are not in that post. Good really deal. terrific. If you only listen to one uh, Seeing Ear Theater thing, listen to that one and be amazed. All right, great. So, really terrific social science fiction story. Will do, will do. I've uh, I've got it downloaded. I haven't heard it yet. All right, next up is E.E. E. Knight. This is a novel of Vampire Earth, Volume 3, and we've had a couple more pass through. Um, Tale of the Thunderbolt, which is um, performed by Christian Rummel. In the, it is the 48th year of the Curian Order. The alien vampiric Kerr and their avatars, the Reapers, control most of Earth. 
their new feeding ground. Humanity is scattered and survives only at their new master's whims. But the resistance is attempting to reclaim Earth. David Valentine, a member of the elite cat spy force, is in enemy uniform aboard the aging gunboat Th- Thunderbolt. Whispers have reached him of the discovery of a long-lost weapon in the Caribbean, the first glimmer of hope for humanity to finally defeat the Reapers. So, another uh, long series, Vampire Earth novels, I guess, uh, Alien Invasion, huh? Uh, Space Vampires, my Space Vampires, right. That's uh, Life Force, I really like that movie. Mm -hmm. Have you seen that? Life Force, yes, I sure have. It's a a horror movie... uh, um, I, I'd love to read the audiobook uh, if they if they turn that into an audiobook. I'd snap it up. Was because, that um, made uh, from a novel? Oh yeah, it's a novel called Space Vampires. Space Vampires, okay. Yeah, uh, hmm. from the late seventies, I think. Okay. Um, speaking of vampires, you know, I finished uh, uh, John Carpenter's vampire. I'm sorry, it's not oh. John Carpenter. John Steakley's <laughs> Vampires. Yeah. Um, and quite enjoyed it. It's uh, it's like Armor. It's it's very similarly structured. Uh, it's got the same. Yeah, we were talking about before how he uses recycles the same character names. Uh-huh. Um, it's similarly structured, but obviously completely different setting. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, yeah, I'm, I, I hear he's writing a uh, another book. He okay. he only wrote these two novels that I'm aware of, and uh, I think there's a sequel to Armor coming. Uh, you know, twenty years after the fact, thirty years after the fact now. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, I'd like I'd like to see what else this guy can write because. It very it feels very polished. It doesn't feel like you know a first novel and a second novel. It feels much more, um, much more in the mid mid of a career. So, uh-huh. well, good. Uh, I like I like what he he's done. It, one of the things he's done in um, the series is in both series is he has villains that are not necessarily pure evil, but they're you know killing them doesn't you know it's not about feeling. Um, guilty about you know taking a human life or taking an alien life or taking a vampire life so um that's not the focus you know oftentimes with a, a combat it's you know these things have to be done it's me or him it's not about that they don't feel any re- remorse about killing um it's more about the psychological effect of losing your friends mm-hmm. um and it, it feels like you know stakely's probably uh writing about something in his own life i don't know yeah. uh, but it feels more like about the the stresses that it are caused by seeing people who you're working with being killed, rather than the stresses caused by you know the mental anguish of of taking you know being haunted by those you're killing. Because the vampires in in John Carpenter's vampires are uh, pure evil. Uh, you know they're they're killing people, but more importantly, that they're, they're not. They're they're not something of pity. They're not shiny vampires. They're not uh, you know they are beautiful, but only because uh, they're evil. Uh-huh. So you don't have to feel bad about killing them. And <laughs> in the same the same way in armor, the aliens are just you know they're bugs. They they don't have to be uh, considered. Their feelings don't have to be considered. Right. And that that's an interesting way of of writing. Is you know he's not examining all the implications of war. Or all the implications of being a you know freelance mercenary team, but uh, he's examining a certain aspect of the psychology of of the people doing those things. Right. Yeah, interesting. I, I would like to read that uh, vampires one. Well, I'll, I'll uh, send it back to you. That's great. 
I really I yeah. Uh, read my review first. and Will do. And I'll <laughs> let you have a look at it. Right. Um, uh, I'll post that up sometime soon. The okay. um, uh, What else are you listening to? Um, well, nothing right now except for that uh, eerie silence. The eerie oh, okay. Silence, yeah. Did you finish anything recently? Um, no, I haven't. Oh. Yeah, not, not recently. Uh, what about um, The Guns of August? The Guns of August I got from the library in print. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I have it sitting right here, but I have not yet started it. Because next up is City of Dragons, and then after that is Guns of August. Oh, it's Guns of August is huge, though. It's, uh, yeah. it's yeah. Uh, about 19 hours, something like that. I, I'm uh, about a third into it, and uh, mm. it's it's something you can pick up and put down because um, it's it's examining in minute detail um, the... Uh, you know what's happening on every day of basically the summer of, of 1914. Uh-huh. What, what 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 all the maneuverings are about? And it's it's very well written history. Well, yeah, I'm I'm very eager to read it. Good, yep. good, good. Yep. After this convention is passed, which is uh, well, by the time this podcast posts, I'll be done. Um, I don't have any obligations, and I'm not planning on adding any. <laughs> okay. So my good. reading uh, should jump up at that point. Um, I sure hope so, because, yeah, life got so busy. This year has just been uh, busy. Looking forward to unbusy. <laughs> well, I'm afraid you, you're not going to get that, because we've got a lot of podcasting to do. Well, that's all right. That's the kind of busy I like, though. Yeah. I, I, want, uh, I want busy I like, not busy I don't like. I, I, I'm also listening to, I'm listening to a lot of things right now. Um, I'm listening to Heist Society. That's the other one that, we, that I, I got as a paper book. Uh-huh. From um, from Bish at Bish's Beat. Oh, good. And um, I'm almost finished. It's very breezy, um, and you can tell it's not the first novel by uh, this person, even though this is the first in the series or first, you know, maybe a standalone. But uh, I'm almost finished it, and it's very, very breezy, quick, quickly written. Uh, yeah. and you get a lot of uh, a lot of a lot packed into every line, so you know you get the character and you get the plot and you get everything. It doesn't really waste any time. It's I guess that's one of the things about YA is uh, they don't spend a, a thousand years on character, you know. Yeah. Um, not sure it's the greatest book ever, but uh, certainly, certainly a breezy listen. Huh. You know, sort of a summer summer read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the things I do every summer is um, I offer my kids uh, this deal where mm-hmm. if they'll read five books that they pick. And mm-hmm. five books that I pick, um, I give them a prize at the end of the summer. Hey, can Some, I get in on that deal? Something good, yeah, something good in the in the dollar area. Oh, so, please uh, give them. I, give them I, can cold, I be one of your kids? Cold hard cash, buddy. But anyway, um, also part of the deal is that they give me their favorite books to read. Um, oh, and that I, I love reading the books that they love because uh, you know, kind of. You know, there's a lot of reasons why, but um, oh. but anyway, so we're getting ready to start, and Alex has already started putting lists up, and um, right. so I'll have this a lot of YA. Alex on uh, Goodreads. No, she's not. I haven't, you know I haven't thought of putting her on there. I ought to get her on there. She would love I'd that. Like she would I'd really like love that. I ought to do that. Yep. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to. Uh, I have not posted anything to Goodreads, but I I'm an active viewer. An of active what's viewer. Going on there. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, I'd like to see I'd like to see progress and see see what people think of books because it helps me pick my own, you know, interests. Yeah, yeah it, um, 
yeah, it's fun. G- Goodreads is, you know, one of the things I like to do is watch what Luke is doing. Yeah, and, uh, got very active <laughs> when Luke, on there. When Luke put up, currently reading Calculating God by Robert J. Sawyer, I just rolled my eyes and I knew uh, that was going to be trouble. There's <laughs> a car crash waiting to happen, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, anyway, but speaking of Robert J. Sawyer, I have his latest in my hand right here. Oh, yeah? What do you got? Uh, Watch by Robert That's number two in the series, two, right? Yeah. Okay. And, uh, yeah, it was just released, um, so they got the hard copy out here pretty quick, but it's been out on Audible for, for a little while. Um, it's the second volume in the science fiction trilogy by Robert J. Sawyer. Um, multi-voice presentation. Uh, Jessica Almasy, Jennifer Van Dyke, A.C. Fellner, and Mark Viator. Um, I'll just read the first paragraph here at the back. Uh, 16-year-old Caitlin Dechter was born blind, but thanks to an implant in her head, she can now see the real world and also see web space, the structure of the World Wide Web. There, she's found a nascent consciousness which she's helped bring forth, letting it, too, see the world for the first time. So, um, consciousness on the web. And, I, haven't, uh, I haven't started the first one yet. Yeah, I, I did finish the first one. Uh, and Seth did a review of it for us, right? Yeah, he sure did. Yep. Yep. And now, here's one, uh, speaking of Luke, I know Luke is read. Um, the Wind-Up Girl by Paolo Basigalupi. I hope I said that correctly. Um, performed by Jonathan Davis, whom I absolutely love as a narrator. Yeah, he's a great narrator. He's one of my favorites. Um, anyway, this just won the Nebula Award for Best Novel. Oh, did it? Sure did. Hmm. Yep, Anderson Lake is a company man, Agrigen's calorie man in Thailand. Undercover as a factory manager, Anderson combs Bangkok street markets in search of foodstuffs thought to be extinct, hoping to reap the bounty of history's lost calories. There he encounters Amiko, and Amiko is the wind-up girl, a strange and beautiful creature. One of the new people, Amiko is not human, she's an engineered being, creche-grown, and programmed to satisfy the decadent whims of a Kyoto businessman, but now abandoned to the streets of Bangkok. Regarded as soulless beings by some, devils by others, new people are slaves, soldiers, and toys of the rich in a chilling near future in which calorie companies rule the world. The oil age is past, and the side effects of bioengineered plagues run rampant across the globe. So, um, yeah, and it's up for the Hugo for Best Novel, too, and I wouldn't be surprised if it won. Not, I haven't read all of... Uh, all of the nominees. Are you voting this year? I, guess? I am not planning to. Um, I, no? I, I was thinking about it, but I never did sign up. So okay. I guess I could still, but but I I didn't vote for novels. You know, I don't keep up with the latest new ones uh, well enough. If I haven't read a significant number of the nominees, I don't vote. Yeah, I think category. that that's probably wise. It's yeah. otherwise you're rating things that you don't. Yeah, know. you're rating things on reputation or whatever. But what I would do for the past, I don't know, four or five years, I've I've joined and read all of the short story candidates, all of the short fiction, novellas, novelettes, and short stories. Um, but this year I've just been so busy I haven't gotten to any of it. So, um, But I did notice that one of the ones I reviewed during our um, anniversary month mm-hmm. um, won the Nebula. It was um, It's got a big, long title. It's by U.G. Foster. Sinner Baker something right. Priest. Yeah, it won the oh. it won the, the the Nebula for best novelette. And um, did you give it an I essential? Would, I didn't give it an essential. I didn't. I don't think I gave any of those essentials. I should have thought of that. But um, 
I just wanted to comment that um, the the reading of the audio version of that book was so well done that I can't help but to think that that helped that story win that award. I, I got to think that audio is just so important now. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, it, if you're a serious a, reader and you're not using audiobooks, mm-hmm. there's there's something strange about that, I think. Uh-huh. You know? Right, right. But anyway, you know, it gets other people reading it. And um, anyway, the performance was very, very strong. It, it was a perfect match of narrator to uh, material. Who, who so, did the narration? Um, shoot, I'm going to have to look it up. Oh, Eugene uh, Foster is a narrator, narrator herself, though, isn't she? She does, yeah, she does some, but not this one. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm typing away. But anyway, congratulations to her. That's that was mm-hmm. yeah. that's a it's no no small feat. Sinner Baker, fabulous priest, red mask, black mask, gentleman beast is the name of the story. And it was an Escape Pod episode read by Lawrence Santoro. Oh, yeah. I, I likened him to um, Harlan Ellison's reading. because it, Yeah, he's got a gravelly sort of Well, it's, it's, just, it's more, it's not so much in, in um, the way his voice sounds, but it's in the, the method that he reads. When, when Harlan Ellison reads something, he, he uh, too, is one of my favorite narrators, but when he reads something, it's like he's grabbing you by the shoulders and talking right to you. Mm-hmm. And he's like, uh, w- when the story is emotional, he's emotional, and he'll stammer or or do something like, you know, uh, you know, wh- whatever. But mm-hmm. he, it's just like he is completely, emotionally engaged, completely engaged. Yeah, and Lord you know, he's a read this pretty book. famous author himself. Uh, if you listen to Starship Sofa, anyways, mm-hmm. he's all over. Uh, Lawrence Santoro is he's uh-huh. all over Starship Sofa. Is he okay? Yeah. And uh, he's got some very powerful sort of horror fiction uh, in him. Well, good. Yeah. So, um, yeah, in fact, he posted a comment to this post. Oh. But, um, absolutely terrific, terrific reading of a terrific story. So I, I was very happy to see that win. Nice. Yeah. And there, in fact, another one was up against it, uh, Rachel Swirsky's story. Mm-hmm. Um, which also would have been, it was a fantastic story. Eros, Philia, Agape by Rachel Swirsky. Also, I reviewed that um, during that same month. And uh, it's published by Tor.com. And um, Rachel Swirsky read it herself, um, but it was a, it was a great story. <laughs> you know, the, the novelette category was really tough. It would have been yeah, tough, to, tough to have picked one, but I'm That's glad. the... The best, uh, the best length of a book. Yeah, right? it's very good, very good. All right, um, Blackstone Audio got a stack. Mm-hmm. For oh, good. Um, one, two, three, four, five, six more, six of these. Um, Orson Scott Card, another Orson Scott Card book, um, Enchantment, read mm-hmm. by Stefan Rudnicki and Gabrielle Decure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we met them at uh, that Worldcon we went to. It was, it was we great. Did. Um, this is a retelling, and I've read this in print. This is a retelling of the Sleeping Beauty myth or story, legend, whatever, however you want to put it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Going back to kind of the original source material um, and uh, writing a novel out of it. The moment 10-year-old Ivan stumbled upon the clearing in the Carpathian forest, his life was forever changed. Atop a pedestal encircled by fallen leaves, a beautiful princess lay still as death, 
but a malevolent presence nearby sent Ivan scrambling for safety. Years later, Ivan is an American graduate student engaged to be married, yet he cannot forget that long-ago day in the forest, nor convince himself it was merely a frightened boy's fantasy. Compelled to return to his native land, Ivan finds a clearing, the clearing just as he left it. This time he does not run. This time he awakens a beauty with a kiss, and steps into a world that vanished a thousand years ago. Um, I recall liking this book very much, but I don't remember a whole lot of details about it. I have not read that book, but mm-hmm. I have something similar that uh, maybe I'll make as my pick of the week. Uh-huh. Um, Snow Glass Apples. Ah. Do you remember that? From yeah, Neil, Neil Gaiman. Gaiman. Yep. That's another uh, senior theater title that uh, is highly, highly recommended. Um, it's a retelling of uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, minus the dwarfs. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I, I don't think there's any dwarfs. Um, and told from the queen's point of view, uh, the evil, uh, you know... Yes, yeah. No. Um, very cool. Very, very amazing performance by B.B. Newirth as the as the queen, and um, uh, highly, highly recommended. So check out the Seeing Ear Theater post on SFF Audio, and you can have a listen to that. It's it's also available, was available commercially from Harper Audio on CD. That's one of the few things that was ever released on CD by uh, anyone connected to senior theater so mm-hmm. amazing uh i think it has been subsequently rewritten as a uh story and that's available on the the dreaming website uh which is a fan based neil gaiman site mm-hmm. and uh it, the original though is as an audio drama originally written for audio drama along with another one called murder mysteries which is um uh, also very good, starring Brian Dennehy, and uh, it's a, the first murder, murder in heaven, mm-hmm. with uh, Satan as a suspect. <laughs> <laughs> Love it, very cool. All yeah. right, next up is Nadia by Pat Murphy. Oh, um, this is a dark fantasy. Um, it's called both a dark fantasy and a historical fantasy. Um, depending on which side of the case you're reading. Um, The daughter of Polish immigrants growing up in the 1830s on the Missouri frontier, Nadia knew she was not like other girls. But when she became a woman and the change came, she discovered just how different she was. For Nadia was a shape-changer, a werewolf like her Polish immigrant mother and the father before her. After coming through a great personal tragedy brought about by her trusting nature and burgeoning sexuality, Nadia heads west to California, seeking a place to be wild and free. Nadia befriends the more cultured Elizabeth and the prepubescent prepubescent Jenny, and together the three young women fight their way across the vast American frontier. En route, they encounter rattlesnakes, Indians, the remains of the cannibalistic Donner Party, and Elizabeth's repressed sexuality, which leads to an affair between her and Nadia. Yeah, um, I'm reading the reviews uh, on uh, Amazon, and uh, of course, the, there's one 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 star review uh-huh. that pulls pulls down the total score, and it says the summary spelled S U M M E R Y from the back of the books, and the first page gave me a totally different idea of what the book was about. All it is is a book about a homosexual and homosexuals two two separate words, uh-huh. female, that turns into a wolf every now and then. I would not recommend this book to any of my friends. Well, 
we know where you're coming from. We want to read it now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's read by Kirsten Potter, um, who's, uh, I don't I like think, Pat I don't, Murphy. She's very, uh, she's very, um, don't think I've heard her narrate. Uh, no, oh, the narrator? Yeah. Kirsten no, Potter. Me neither. Mm-hmm. No. Um, I first read, uh, Pat Murphy, uh, with a story, um, about a uh, a girl who whose whose father uh, is a scientist, and when the gir- little girl was um, in a car accident, he downloaded her consciousness into the consciousness of a chimpanzee, mm. um, so so that she could still be alive. Uh-huh. Uh, but then her father dies. And it's it's a great story. It's called Rachel in Love. It's very much like a Mike Resnick story, you know, very um, sad, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, sad and uh, heartfelt and touching, but also very science, science idea. And it's about identity. And I think it's, you know, so award winners or whatever, but it was in one of the um, Orson Scott card collections from Dirk Amadio. Oh, cool. Years and years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been, I think there's a couple other versions out there, but uh, terrific, uh, well-written, compelling, character-based science fiction uh, you know with, with with real science ideas and uh, I'm not sure this sounds you know fairly fantasy like but um, if she brings the same rigor to her thinking it might be a great listen cool alright um, Vampire Zero a gruesome vampire tale by David Wellington and I didn't make that up it says it right here a gruesome vampire tale by David Wellington, read by Bernadette Dunn. Very scary-looking dude on the cover. U.S. Marshal Jameson Arkeley, the country's foremost authority on vampires, taught police investigator and vampire fighter Laura Caxton everything she knows about monsters. After a bloody war visited upon Gettysburg by an army of vampires, Arkeley gave up his own life to save others, except he didn't exactly die. Arkeley accepted the curse and is now a vampire himself. What's worse, he's the savviest vampire ever. He knows all the tricks better than anyone. Caxton is now faced with the task of destroying her former mentor. But Arkley knows all her tactics, too. After all, he taught them to her. Caxton realizes she must finish Arkley before he succeeds in his quest to exterminate his own family. But more important, she has to prevent him from becoming a beast exponentially more dangerous. A Vampire Zero. That, uh, what was the title on that one? Um, Vampire Zero. <laughs> okay, I yep. think that's in the 99 Coffin series, is it? Um, yeah, he's the same guy who wrote 13 Bullets and 99 Coffins. I, I don't know if they're all related, but maybe they are. It doesn't mm. say book number blah 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 on anything. It just uh, it says he's written 13 Bullets, 99 Coffins, and 23 Hours. Ah, it does say that it's Laura Caxton Vampire Series, all of them. Yeah, okay. Bullets, 99 Coffins, and 23 Hours. Are so all we're getting a, 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 the, the continued numbers. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's read by Bernadette Dunn. Yeah, she's, uh, I'm, she's, uh, I think she's a Hollywood actress as well. Uh-huh. I think. Okay. I, I think I've heard her. All right, now here's one that looks... Oh, you know, she did uh, The Year of the Flood. That's what it was. Oh, okay. Uh, Margaret Atwood. Mm, gotcha. Okay, here's one by Stephen Polanski called The Bradbury Report, read by Stefan Rudnicki. 
The year is 2071, and the United States has implemented a wide-scale, government-run cloning program that is tied directly to health insurance. Each U.S. citizen has a copy living separately in a cleared zone in the Midwest. No clone has ever successfully escaped until now. I wonder... Uh, Sounds like is, the is, island. The island. Yeah, yeah, very much like that. Um, but I'm wondering, the Bradbury report, obviously trying to... You know, it's like I was telling you before. If you're going to write a uh, a pseudonymous novel, novel, a good one would be Isaac Asimov by I initial as I initial uh, robot. Yeah, <laughs> that would be a great a great uh, way of remixing. You know, something famous. Mm-hmm. But uh, this is Ray Bradbury, I guess. But I don't remember a Ray Bradbury story that is exactly inspired by this. Mm-hmm. Um, or vice versa. Yeah, but. I wonder uh, what the connection is. Yeah, that'll be interesting to find out. Um, anyway, this is a debut novel. Um, it's got a couple of really nice reviews on it. The Wyndham Report. You know the, you know the. That's more what I would think. My, I'm not sure. Clone. What's the best cloning novel you've ever read? The best cloning novel. Wow, I'd have to think about that. I don't know if there is a a great cloning novel out there. I know there's a lot of cloning movies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm thinking. See what's come to mind here. Is it nothing? Nothing is jumping to my mind at all. Yeah, it it feels like you know cloning sort of something that uh, doesn't really live in in fiction, uh, in book fiction. I think it lives in you know sort of a Hmm. Yeah. The dead space between science and movies or something. I, I sort of. Hmm. We talk. Well, we talk about it a lot, but yeah. we don't uh, have any any definitive work. <laughs> Maybe this is the definitive work on it. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. Yeah, it's odd that I'm not coming up. With, I'm not coming up with anything. Owning I can't even, I can't even think of one. <laughs> I know. I can't think of a single one. I I know there are. Uh, you know. I told you about a movie I saw not that long ago um, with Bruce Willis that was kind of like Kiln People. Oh, Kiln People. Kiln People's Kiln one. People. There yeah, we go. Sort of. <laughs> sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, and that, something that, that was, was called Surrogates. surrogates um, and uh-huh. that was, that was uh, you know, yeah. fairly interesting. Right. Um, uh, I, I guess there's, uh, there's got to be more. Cloning in science fiction. Love to know sci-fi. Let's see what this says. Um, Sci-teen. C.J. Cherry. Mm -hmm. 1988. I have not read that. I've heard about it. Yep, I haven't. Where Late the the Sweet Birds Sang by Kate Wilhelm. 1976. Mm -hmm. Again, have not read that. And that's the entire list. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. That's one of the subjects that H.G. Wells never touched on. Ah, that's why we don't have a definitive work on it. Yeah, there you go. I mean, the closest would be, I guess, uh, Island Dr. Moreau. Dr. Moreau, right, right. Um, Okay, here's another list from SF Clone. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Or, sorry, uh, magicdragon.com. It says, uh, Anna and the Infinite Power, 1983, Blade Runner. Yeah, sort of, not really. Boys from Brazil. (laughs) Spoiler. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Uh, Critters. No, that's a movie. Uh, something like that. Gato a Nove Code. 
cats are experimented upon in this film, and it leads to something stranger. Th- okay, so these are just movies, I guess. Yeah, they uh, sound like movies so far. Multiplicity. Oh my god, never gonna see that. Uh, and then, yeah, a bunch of other stuff I've never heard heard of. Hmm. I mean, there's there's lots of um, lots of stuff that's sort of related, you know, like uh, uh, there's a great. Great, great short story by uh, Donald A. Walheim called um, uh, "Oh Crap!" I can't remember the name of it. Uh, they made a movie out of it called "Mimic." Oh yeah, um, movie's not great. It's not mm-hmm. terrible, but it's not great. Um, but the story is excellent, and it's mm-hmm. not about cloning. It's about um, sort of convergent evolution on a rapid scale. You know. Uh-huh. Um, uh, maybe the closest thing I uh, uh, the thing I, I I think about probably way too much is um, uh, if you've got you know an environment and you've got an animal that can uh, evolve into that environment, which hopefully they can, they all can, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that would explain. Uh, you know, I have always said this about Red Dwarf. It's it's a great a hard science fiction series as long as you don't look at it as a continuing series of episodes. Uh, just individually, they're they're great. But you know, the cat, right? He started off as uh, his ancestors were regular cats, right, right. And then there was no people on board the spaceship for a million years or whatever it was, uh-huh, uh-huh. and he evolved into the shape of a of a human. Mm-hmm. Right? He's still a cat, genetically yeah. a cat. But he has evolved into that shape. Why? Well, because the ship was designed for humans. If you want to go over to the uh, the uh, fish dispensing machine, you you need to be the right size to hit that button, and <laughs> you have to be able to save fish. Right? <laughs> so clearly, um, there's a case of you know evolution evolution growing in to fit a niche. Obviously, mm-hmm. that's it's not quite cloning, but right. Uh, so let's let's put it out there to the people. Mm-hmm. What's the best cloning novel out there, and uh, why haven't we heard of it? <laughs> there you go. Or read it. Yep. Yeah, maybe this is it, the Bradbury Report. Well, maybe. I can't think of anything Bradbury's done with cloning. I don't think, I don't think. So uh, it'll be uh, interesting what, uh, if it's Ray Bradbury's thinking of, and I would, I would assume so. All right, I got two more. Um, <laughs> Blood Oath. I just read the, the, the tagline on this, and it made me uh, chuckle. Um, mm-hmm. It's called Blood Oath by Christopher Farnsworth, read by Bronson Pinchot. Oh, the he ulti- just did something uh, with the Stephen King one, Yeah, right? he did. He did. It's neat to see him because I, I like him. Yeah, me too. Uh, the Ultimate Secret, The Ultimate Agent, The President's Vampire. That's the tagline. Okay. Um, in 1867, a sailor was caught drinking the blood of two dead men on a whaling vessel. He was pardoned for insanity and died in an asylum. At least that's the cover story. In fact, 19-year-old vampire Nathaniel Cade was secretly recruited by the president to defend the United States against unnatural threats. Cade is the ultimate secret agent, battling nightmares before they can break into the daylight world of the American dream. When Zach Burrows, an ambitious 25-year-old White House staffer, is assigned as Cade's new handler and presidential liaison, he soon learns that the world is far stranger and far more dangerous than he ever imagined. Their mission reveals the truth about the real Dr. Frankenstein, a shadowy conspiracy within the government, and a plot to attack the United States with a gruesome biological weapon, an army of undying, unstoppable killers. 
Sounds pretty good. Yeah, it sounds really interesting. Um, I couldn't tell if it was a comedy or not, you know, uh, just the way that tagline read. Um, Publishers it Weekly sounds, It sounds says, funny, doesn't it? Yeah. Publi- well, I don't know either of these two. <laughs> Publishers Weekly, Weekly compares this to two authors that I've never read. It says, uh, reads like a cross between P.N. Elrod's historical vampire adventures and Thomas Grinias' conspiracy thrillers. I haven't read either of them either. Yeah. Um, one uh, one thing that struck me while you were reading the description was uh, uh, shadowy conspiracy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think, you know, I've probably written that several times myself, but now that I think about it, you know, if the conspiracy isn't shadowy, it's not very uh, much of a conspiracy, <laughs> is it? It's almost like uh, the secret secret. That's you know? right. <laughs> you, don't really, uh, you don't really need it. <laughs> you bet, you bet. All right, I saved a really good one for last. Oh. Bradbury 13 in hard copy. Oh, yes. And does um, it have all 13? It has all 13. Um, I read great. Bradbury. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. Yes. Does it have the... This is the, the real question. Does it have the interview with Bradbury? I do not know. Oh. Okay, well, got to find I'm going to have to listen to it all. It says, uh, the Bradbury 13th series is a collection of radio dramas masterfully adapted from classic short stories by veteran science fiction author Ray Bradbury. Um, done by Michael McDonough, is the uh, the creative guy behind the scenes there. Um, it includes A Sound of Thunder, Dark They Were and Golden-Eyed, The Happiness Machine, The Fox in the Forest, Here There Be Tigers, Kaleidoscope, the Man, Night Call Collect, The Screaming Woman, There Was an Old Woman, The Velt, The Wind, and The Ravine. It's basically, uh, if you're going to buy any audio drama uh, this decade, yep. that's the one to buy. Because <laughs> this is good stuff, yeah. It's amazing, not just not just good. It's it's. Mm. I, I think they're better than the stories, which is saying something. Uh, yeah. Um, just the... the Great production, just amazing production. Obviously, on CD, it's going to sound great as long as they, they took it from the original, original tapes wherever they are. Right. Um, amazing, amazing production, and um, it's it's one of the you know a lot of people talk about Hitchhiker's Guide uh, as the thing that got them into audio drama, mm-hmm. and I, I I like Hitchhiker's Guide, but it's nothing like regular audio drama really uh-huh. um it's more of a you know a zany zany story and i uh I, I think it's more like you know the book than it is uh like uh, this is this is uh, tra- translated to just great it's amazing audio you gotta listen to that <laughs> yeah. you, you heard all of these no Did i send those to you no oh you're gonna I love it i've heard only a sound of thunder but really i've already okay. ripped this into my ipod so i'm i'm ready to listen I, you know, I just I can tell you about al- almost every story in there. I, the fox in the forest. I thought, uh, oh, you know, I'm not so interested. But uh, as soon as I heard it, I thought, wow, this is a, it's a time travel story, mm-hmm. and uh, it's got you know, it's got authentic marketplace sounds. While you're, you know, it, it just places you right where you are. You know, you know exactly what's going on at all times. It's uh, it's a mind movie, Great. like no other. Can't great, wait. great acting too. Not Good. not just you know, a sound of thunder so, sort of gets 
you know, everybody talks about the Sound of Thunder, Sound of Thunder, but um, there's great stuff in there. Nightcall Collect, mm-hmm. uh, very vivid memory in my mind still from, you know, 20 years ago or whenever it was I heard it. It's um, set on Mars. Uh, <laughs> everyone's left. Mm-hmm. Everyone's left Mars for Earth. And there's one person left on Mars, and he just didn't get on the spaceship, right? Mm-hmm. But he keeps getting phone calls, uh, and he's trying to track down who's calling him. Hmm. Great, great stuff. Good deal. I think they adapted a lot of these for the for the television series, uh, the, one of the many Ray Bradbury television series. Uh-huh. But uh, no, this is the be- this is the best adaptation of Ray, Ray Bradbury I've ever seen. Oh, cool! Sounds good. All right, and that is all of the new releases I've got. But I've I got have, some. I've, okay. Go ahead. Oh, what do you got? No, I've got this uh, book, a book book, not an audio book, that I wanted to bring to your attention. Okay. Um, it's called City of Truth by James Morrow. And James Morrow is the same guy who wrote uh, Towing Jehovah. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he writes satire, um, mostly of religion. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, Towing Jehovah is about uh, the God dies, he lands in the ocean, and his giant body has to be towed to shore or something like that uh-huh i think yep. that's what it's about yeah i haven't read the novel but that's what the the description seemed to be um anyway i just wanted to read you this description because i think you'd get a kick out of it because it's going to remind you of something okay okay in veritas the city of truth people have been brutally conditioned to always tell the truth no matter how unnerving mm. or droll the truth may be it will come as no surprise, then, that the elevators in Veritas carry the notice, this elevator maintained by people who hate their jobs. <laughs> Ride at your own risk. Or that cigarette packs say, warning, the Surgeon General's crusade against this product may distract you from the myriad ways your government fails to protect your health. <laughs> so Jack Sperry leads a rather routine life as a deconstructionist, destroying mendacious old works of art until his beloved son Toby is bitten by a rabbit at Camp Ditch the Kids and contracts a rare disease. Jack must now somehow learn to lie if, as he comes to believe, lying is the only way to give Toby enough hope to effect a cure. Uh, you know, I, I think I'm going to really like reading it, James Moore. I've never read any of his stuff, but uh-huh. it, it all sounds really... Uh, it, it's sa- not satire, exactly, I guess. I don't know. Maybe that's exactly what satire is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, I read... Uh, um, the novel of his that I read was called This is the Way the World Ends. And it was really, really good. Yep, I don't know if it exists on audio, but uh, that was a great novel. And this from Blackstone? No, no, no. No, this it's just a, a paper. It's book. not available as a, an it's audio a paper book. book. Yet? Not as far as I know. Oh. It's just a paper okay. book I got from Paperback Swap. Oh, nice! Another How website old? that's also a pick of the week. <laughs> hey, you can't have two picks of two the week. Two picks of the week. No, I, I do love that website though. I use it all the time. I think it's great. I am. I do too, and I don't even use it. Yeah, <laughs> because you get me stuff from it. That's right. Thank you, sir. Uh, thank uh, Julie for that. Oh, really? She's the one she, who told she... me about it. Yep. That's cool. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think uh, that sounds it sounds really good because. Um, what does it remind I, you of? I read. I read it to oh, you. Oh well, clearly the invention of lying. There you go. Yep. But it also reminded me of. Um, I was listening to Dan Carlin's Common Sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that long ago, I guess maybe two weeks ago, he had a uh, segment on you know why. <laughs> basically, all his shows are the same. Why why the American politics are the way they are, mm-hmm. and um, 
he was talking about uh, how oligarchy, you know, their their investment is is you know if you're if you're a big uh, rich guy in the United States, you, you know, you own a big corporation or you have shares in a big corporation, you have uh, a great investment in keeping the status quo. So you don't care who wins the election because you've got both of the both of the parties in your pocket. You've donated to both. Mm-hmm. You've hedged your bets. And the the worst thing that can happen is for some third party to come in or uh, independent to come in and disrupt that pattern. Um, and that's why, you know, we do get these, uh, you know, fake debates, the fake debates about health care. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the health care changes in the United States are actually significant at all. They're very minor. Mm-hmm. Um, are they going to affect people? Yes, they are. Um, are they going to affect them for the better, for the worse? Not clear. Yeah. It's not clear. Mm-hmm. Um, but the main thing is, you know, from the sound and fury, you would think, uh, you know, they were repealing the Second Amendment or something. Yeah. But really, it's it's not much of a big deal at all. And uh, that that is a deliberate thing. You know, the talking points, if you... If you watch uh, the Daily Show, you know you, you'll see they've put on fifteen different channels, and everybody's saying the same thing, yeah. right? Yeah, all that's one of the most disappointing same things words. ever. <laughs> is uh, that that is something that the Daily Show is so good at pointing out? Yep, um, they've they, got they a do, memory. They do it's, it all the time. Yeah, they've and, got uh, this memory where they watch it and they say, "You know what? That sounds familiar." What else do we have in the archives that say yeah. the and exact to, same thing? And to see every newspaper in the United States and you know every news television show in the united states all talking about the exact same topic is just amazingly disheartening it It does work it does work you know what happens i'm just saying you know why you know there's a lot of other things going on you know and there are how can can all the all the newspapers have the same headline every week you know steen was saying uh you know he just moved to colorado Mm -hmm. from uh, ontario and he he was saying that you know, he's he, everybody at his new workplace is talking about Obamacare, right? Uh-huh. Obamacare, this uh, it's like uh, if you if you put gate on the end of a, a scandal, mm-hmm. that makes it worse, right? Yeah. Uh, sorry, guys, you really don't understand what words mean when you you add gate as a suffix. It doesn't mean big bad scandal. Mm-hmm. Watergate was the name of an actual hotel mm-hmm. where a scandal took place. And if your memory, you know, if you tack on a suffix, it becomes evil, then you're falling into a trap, right? Well, yeah, it's it's come to mean that, though, no? It has come to mean that because people have bought into the idea that, uh, you know, it's a, you know, if if I say it's, it's, Death Gate, or uh-huh. you know, well, I've whatever. Seen that. It is. I've seen that on the Daily Show too. They give them, they give certain news events uh, crazy names as well to, to make that very point. Yeah, exactly. You know, they'll throw the gate and, on the end of something or, or that. Right. But, but I'm just saying it does mean that because everybody thinks it means that, and that's that's the way things work. No. It, well, yes, that's that's the difference between English and French, right? Uh-huh. In English, uh, words mean what what we say they mean and, and what we understand them to mean. So, yes, it's true that uh, when somebody when some little kid says, "Oh, that's gay," what he means is bad, mm-hmm. right? But right. that unthinking is actually also a big problem right, right? it's yeah. a big problem because then we, we we think that the world is mapped by our words but actually it's not what we're mapping with words is not the is not the world 
numbers barely match, map the world. And they are a lot more abstract than words are. Mm-hmm. Words are full of connotation. Even the number 13, you know, we say 13, we, we have tons of connotations with it. But uh, that's just a number. Imagine all the connotations that come with a word. It's a whole background of everything that, you, you know, comes with it. And that, that disconnect, if you can't, dis, you know, say, what, what do you actually say? What do yeah, those so, words So what you're saying is, you know, somebody puts gate on the end of the thing, and what they're doing is they're connecting it to Watergate. They're making it a scandal. they're giving it, they're making it a scandal by calling yeah, it, it that. Right, yeah. and it, it's just tipping your hand, saying, you know, mm-hmm. not only is this, you know, harmful behavior, it's also a scandal. Right. right? Yeah. Uh, when, in fact... If you use that kind of language, um, I think that, you know, that's for me as a someone who prides himself as a critical thinker, you know, for me, that's a sign that this person is not to be trusted. You know, I can't trust anything you're saying if you say Obamacare, because what you really mean is I don't like something and I'm putting a stamp on it. Right. Uh, words mean things. Um, and and that is that is the magic in our world is. Is, is words have this power to cast a spell over you if you are not aware of how the spelling works, right? Right. How the enchantment works. Yep. So. Yep, well done, yep. There's a show. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, don't you have a couple more? You said you had a couple more. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've got I'm ready. two. ready, yeah. All right, I've got two. Okay. Uh, sent, sent here, I've got... Um, Dinotopia, The World Beneath. This is a ZBS audio drama on one CD. Fantastic, yeah. I've got oh. I've got the first one, and oh, that is astounding audio drama. Oh, I'm looking forward I to it. I don't know that I ever reviewed it. I actually bought that. They never sent it to me or anything. I bought that a long time ago. And I, I got the uh, uh, Yuri Rozovsky. I was talking to him one day, and he said, yeah, grab the, the print copy of Dinotopia. And he said he would listen to it with, I think he said his nephew or his niece, and mm-hmm. um, flip through the book while they were listening to the audio drama. Because there's no, the, book, the book, there's really no story. It's no, more it's of a, of a like a, kind of a journalistic thing, you know, you know somebody's diary kind of. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, the pictures are cool. Yeah. So uh, how about this? Do you do a review of the uh, first one and I'll do a review of this one? Great. Will do. I'll just read Give the back here. Excuse to listen to it all over again. Yeah, that's right. In fact, it's only I'll two have, and a half uh, hours I'll, on this. Oh, it's two CDs. I'll put some headphones on uh, my kids and have them listen to it too. That sounds it's good. It's not just for kids, but it's uh, uh, they really enjoy it. And it's digging. Yeah, yeah. It says uh, Arthur and Will Dennison continue their adventures on the strange and wonderful island of Dinotopia. When will when Will accidentally discovers an ancient temple ruin guarded by. Uh, a not very friendly Tyrannosaurus, he barely escapes their snapping jaws. Uh, meanwhile, Arthur leads an expedition deep into the mysterious caverns of the world beneath. They discover a fleet of strutters, strange mechanical walking machines shaped like dinosaurs and powered by sunstones. But the harmony of the entire island is threatened when a member of his expedition attempts to steal the treasure of Poseidos, angering not only the Tyrannosaurus, but also, even larger and fiercer meeting the Gigantosaurus. Unabridged audio adaptation with full cast of performers, dinosaurs, incredible sound effects, and stunning music. Very cool. I wonder if they went back in time and got real dinosaurs. <laughs> that would be cool. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a, I, I, you know, I, I, I asked a kid the other day, I said, 
I said, uh, everybody likes dinosaurs, right? I don't like dinosaurs. I was like, a kid who doesn't like dinosaurs? I thought, you know, do you know what a dinosaur is? I mean, come on. (laughs) This is in, in... This is incredible. You can't believe that, can you? A kid who doesn't like dinosaurs, at least it's, you know, for six months or three weeks. You're not into dinosaurs? Yeah. (laughs) Like, you really? You know, they're real, right? They're not like dragons. They're like dragons, right? (laughs) That's funny. They're real. I don't know. (laughs) Um, Okay. Well, uh, the last one I got in here. Uh-huh. Uh, is uh, the final, maybe not the final, I keep thinking it's over, but it's not. Um, Blake 7, The Early Years, ah. this is uh, uh, part of the Early Years series of Blake 7 prequels to um, to the already released uh, Blake 7 Audio Adventures series, which mm-hmm. I've reviewed. I've reviewed all of them except for the final two so far. And uh, it's called uh, Zen, that's the computer in Blake 7, mm-hmm. uh, Escape Velocity, and um, it's by James Swallow. Featuring Zoe Tapper, Jason Morellis, Tracy Ann Oberman, and Alistair Locke as Zen. The um, the series is uh, about a group of ragtag uh, uh, rebels from uh, an oppressive Earth and Earth uh, Empire who find a powerful spaceship and are determined to fight back against uh, the evil evil government. Robin Hood, um, you know they got uh, the evil King John and the uh, the evil Sheriff of Nottingham, and even the Guy of Gisborne. All those characters are sort of an- analogized in in, uh, in the stories. And this, um, the computer is sort of the is kind of like Sherwood Forest in a way. Uh-huh. <laughs> if I continue the analogy because um, he's he's the ally of of uh, Robin or Blake. Um, and helps them escape, helps them uh, you know, do what they need to do, which is you know tweak the nose of uh, of King John, or in this case, uh, the Earth government. Um, so this is ab- about the. It's it's here. I'll read the back. Um, before Blake, before the Seven, before the rebellion began, the Liberator, a mysterious alien starship controlled by a synthetic intelligence known only as Zen. A uh, derelict rescued from the brink of destruction by Raj Blake and his band of dissidents. The ship is their weapon in the war against the corrupt Federation. Its origin is unknown until now. What terrible catastrophe left the Liberator drifting and shattered? What drove the ship's computer to murder its original crew? What dark secrets lie at the heart of this alien machine? For one woman, a pilot in the service of the all-powerful system, these questions will be answered in a desperate search for her own destiny, a search that can only end in betrayal and death. Dum, dum, dum. Yeah, and these are nice. really terrific modern audio drama. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, uh, I, I, we were talking with um, David J. Williams about mm-hmm. uh, about after after our last podcast, we had actually extra talk, uh-huh. and um, you know this, yes. And um, I, I was saying how great Babylon Five was, um, and I'd love to see that as an audio drama series. I. I I, I know, you know, and that's another one of the Seeing Your Theaters uh, available in that post. It's uh, the J. Michael Straczynski anthology series. Uh-huh. Uh, J. Michael Straczynski is a huge fan of audio drama, and he writes it really well. Mm-hmm. Um, if he was writing, 
right now it would be just like this Blake Seven terrific series, uh, very well um, performed, but also written for audio. You know, giving you that it's not like a a, a television show that has been you know uh, without any video. Mm-hmm. So you kind of get that in a lot of action based uh, series, and this is a space opera action series, but it's a terrific listen. I haven't heard this one yet, but I, I'll have a review up of um, the second to last one in the series so far, and uh, we'll post that, and then I'll do this one next. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. <laughs>